0: Thank you. Thank you very much for joining our bo- uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to the Africana Voice podcast. My name is Maurice Ndole, and I'm your host and publisher of the Africana Voice, an independent journalism company that highlights the African diaspora. Our topic today is analyzing the situation in Kenya, and we are very, very lucky today to have a special guest, abona Robert Kigame, a respected teacher, renowned musician, a father, a husband, and a presidential aspirant for Kenya in the year 2027. Welcome to Africana Voice
1: I uh, thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, just a quick correction. I'm not Robert. I am Ruben. So oh. it's uh, Ruben Kigame. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I said Robert, shame on me. No no no, it's fine. <laughs> uh,
1: it's late out there, it's early here. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for the assist. You you're even making excuses for me, so I, I appreciate that the name is the name is ruben you're my brother
1: you're my brother i got you (laughs) you have to help me out
0: yeah so uh let me let me just start by saying this i've been looking at your career and i've been uh i've seen what you've been able to accomplish and uh you have done a lot okay you have done a lot can you tell us a little bit about yourself
1: Yeah, Maurice, I'm a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, I bring everything uh, to the table and uh, that's a blend of, um, you know, someone who's very passionate about music. So I've followed the music path from when I was a little kid and uh, now with a discography of uh, 29 albums. And um, I also took a at history, uh, philosophy and uh, religious studies at the uh, the university for my undergrad so that puts me at the table as a teacher and so i do teach part-time even right now at uh, the africa international university out in nairobi i also have uh, had a stint in journalism in particular broadcast journalism uh, so worked with different uh, media houses uh, debuted with the radio citizen when they were starting out in uh, 2000 out of nairobi And uh, then Family Radio, now they call themselves Radio 316, and then Biblia Husema Broadcasting helped set it up, and uh, as well as Hope FM, which I helped set up and then uh, broadcast with them for about a year. Before relocating from Nairobi and settling in Eldoret, where I run my own independent Christian broadcasting house called Fish Media and we run fish fm for 10 years i folded it up in 2016 to begin my journey towards what i'm doing now and um and what I also what, have, what,
0: what what are you doing now
1: of course uh, getting ready to lead uh, the country uh, to uh, you know its new birth so uh, and we'll talk some more about that so i also have a, a stint in um, social activism I've worked very closely with Linda Katiba movement uh, you know Martha Karoa, David Ndi nee, Boniface Mwangi you Ngwanjerindero know, and all these great uh, guys uh, that uh, are very passionate about ensuring that our constitution is um, uh, protected and so, um, yes, we did uh, fight very strongly the BBI initiative, uh, you know, had some court cases. And finally, uh, you know, with God's help, yeah, it got thrown out. We were very excited to see uh, our participation in that. And we continue to be very passionate about constitutionalism in this country. Um, I also live with a visual disability for the record. Uh, and so... Apparently, that has made news because uh, in this country, when you are blind, uh, you are not supposed to break out into, especially public uh, life and uh, professionalism, and all the, you know the the, the usual African um, you know imagination that if you have visual disability, then you are a second-class citizen. Mm-hmm. I I live with defiance of that position. I've been blind since I uh, you know I was three. But that has not prevented me from uh, securing a place in academia, and uh, you know, media and education per se, uh, social activism, and now, of course, uh, very passionate about the leadership of our country, which has gone to the dogs. Yes, yes.
0: So uh, let's talk a little bit about your your you're a person with disa- living with a disability of blindness, and um, uh, when uh, President Ruto was being inaugurated. I don't remember him talking about any policies that are going to help people with disability. Uh, do you have an inclination about any policies that the Kenya Kwanzaa government, uh, is implementing in that direction?
1: The Kenya Kwanzaa government, uh, Maurice is, um, is hard to describe because, um, I cannot score that government, uh, anything beyond five on a scale of one to 10 on any major policy. Because it was, um, the Kenya Kwanzaa is like a club of mafioso, you know, that come together in order to, to get a loot. And so what you call crony capitalism in action. And so they come to the table with what is it for me? What, what is in it for me? And so they have formed government the wrong way, just pulling everybody, even those that have questionable moral Uh, issues you know and uh, then um, lots of false promises lots of uh, euphoric approaches to their agenda and so it's no wonder that um, about six to seven months uh, from their being in office uh, the country is completely ungovernable it's just uh, broken down and so you wouldn't expect them to have a clear policy on uh, disability that's not even their priority um their priority seems to be a mix, a mix mismatch of uh, you know some local opportunities and uh, global geopolitical conveniences
0: yeah so yeah it, it kind of goes into your philosophy you are uh, aspiring to be a presidential candidate in 2027 uh in the last elections you are not allowed we to need run. to add or earlier or earlier. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you're anticipating that this government might not last
1: in 2027. No, it could and very it's... well be a one, a one-term, uh, government and, uh, the yeah. signs are not good. The Maurice, the signs are not good. Yeah. So, so let's
0: talk about your, your, your philosophy. I mean, you have, yes. uh, you have four pillars in your philosophy. Uh, You yes. have Utu, which is human dignity, Haki, which yes. is basic rights, uh, Madili, yes. which is values. And Ugatuzi, Mm -hmm. which is devolution. So uh, considering what the Kenya Kwanzaa government is doing, which looks like is a hodgepodge of so many things that is happening right now. The economy is a mess. Uh, I just spoke with somebody in Kenya and they were telling me the cost of electricity has doubled without notice. Uh, Tripled, actually. uh, uh, Tripled. It's even, it's even worse. And I'm also hearing that uh, the talk about people getting jobs is no longer a discussion because they've pretty much like given up on it. So talk about your philosophies and how you think you can mend Kenya and what you think Kenya Kwanzaa should do right
1: away to get things on the right track. Yeah, so just a quick comment on uh, the fact that uh, the Kenya Kwanzaa government to me seems like uh, is still in that campaign mode. So Mm. everything they do, everything they say seems to point to the past. You know, blame game on the former government, blame game on the handshake, blame game on what went wrong in the past. And uh, the deputy president in particular is very fixated on uh, Uhuru as a person. Uh, So you find a lot of personality, vendetta, you know, attacks. So that seems to be the order of the day. And they continue to go, you know, church to church every Sunday in that campaign mode. And one gets the feeling that uh, we came from one election and uh, Kinequanza is preparing for the next. But that be as it may, I bring to the table the four pillars. And actually, the first pillar could uh, very much hold everything. It's just that you have to itemize it for people to understand exactly what specifics uh, would be driving who we are as a government, as a government in waiting. So Utu is really taken out of the African Ubuntu. It's the Swahili word for personhood or personality. And uh, it insists that... Um, people come before projects, people come before policy, that if you f- make any policy, if you are going to do any development in a country, you've got to think about the people that you are doing those projects or development for. And so uh, the dignity of the person um, comes, uh, you know, uh, ahead of everything. And it means that um, doing things in order to uh, self-aggrandize and uh, lift your personal ego or uh, rob a society in order to be in power uh, is a no-no. So uh, we also come to it uh, from uh, the biblical and of course the Quranic uh, standpoints that uh, it's God who made uh, man in his image. And so the, Im- the imago Dei, the image of God in man is uh, a critical component to look at when you uh, when you relate to people and that um, leadership is a privilege it's uh, supposed to go along to be a servant leader uh, rather than uh, someone who takes advantage so so we come from that vantage point of uh, I am because we are a very very African uh, way of looking at things and so you could actually say we want Utu education we want Utu economy we want Utu, uh, agriculture, name it. So, um, that is where we're coming from with, uh, Utu. Now for Haki, we are just looking at the basic rights that, um, accrue to the individual. That there are those inalienable rights. You cannot deny people food. Correct. You cannot deny people an education. I mean, they come into this life and society has the obligation to give them an education. You cannot deny people health services. You know, you need to be alive. Yes. Um, you cannot deny people housing. They need a roof above uh, their heads. Uh, you know, a place to sleep. Uh, and so things like street children, street families, or uh, people begging on the streets for us is a no-no uh, in yeah. a country that has so much. So, uh, if you like, uh, you could go it along um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, the the very fundamental needs are a right for every person. And for Correct. me, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, you know, where you come from, as long as you're a citizen of Kenya. Those basic needs are uh, a prerogative of government. And then... Uh, you know, you need a livelihood, you know, t- you need to come home in the evening and, uh, uh, you know, have food for your family and the, the dignity uh, of uh, being a husband or, or a wife or a single mother, you know, so that is critical for us, basic rights. And so all those questions, even when it comes to the uh, controversial issues, like uh, recently Kenya has been grappling with lgbtqi and all of that you come to it you know and whether you're dealing with religion you're dealing with age brackets you're dealing with youth you're dealing with uh whatever that the constitution actually takes care of everybody but uh puts uh at the forefront uh article 43 the very fundamental rights that hold a person so you ask first of all as a president have my people eaten uh, do they have, uh, health? Do they have jobs? And so all these things become fundamental. And right. then uh, for values, you look at, um, what drives the software of the Kenyan, uh, society. Uh, for example, you realize that, uh, we are very mannerless, uh, when it comes to, uh, how we appoint people to office, to office. So for example, you get into office and, uh, the first thing you do is you appoint your cronies or you appoint people from your ethnic community. Um, And this is right against Article 10 of our Constitution, against uh, Chapter 6 on uh, ethics and integrity. This is against it. And and if you look at how uh, President Ruto has done it, he's actually dominated his government with uh, people from two communities, mainly the Kalenjin and the Kikuyu. Nothing personal about these uh, communities it's just that kenya is uh, made of uh, more than 40 uh, different communities and uh, you need to be regionally represented you need to be to concentrate on professionalism and so on so values are thrown out of the window and then of course corruption the pillage of uh, our resources you know just like this is my my own uh, property so people amass uh, what uh uh, Kariuki used to say, "You have ten millionaires and uh, ten million beggars." So you have, I would say, the raping of an economy. Excuse the expression. Mm-hmm. You you rape the society so much that uh, only a few have the resources. So you have billionaires, and uh, in some cases, I've uh, uh, cost to think trillionaires uh, in this country and yet you have a lot of people who are just living hand to mouth and then you have you know all these scandals uh the chems are billionaires you have uh, the euro bond theft you have um you know historic uh pillaging of uh our resources yeah. so much so that uh you see something like the SGR. the contracts have never been uh, made public and and so on so you come to the table And you look at it and you say what we need is values what we need is morals what we need is uprightness and uh, for me as a christian you know i come to it with um, the call that righteousness does exalt uh, a nation but uh, sin is a reproach to any people that when the righteous are in office people rejoice and uh, you know when the wicked rule People mourn. So you come to that with passion, you know, and, and for Ugatuzi, we are looking at devolution one of the best things that ever happened to our country actually and the constitution is big on devolution Um, and this is really about moving resources and policies from the national government, from the centre to the peripheries, to the the other parts of the country for me I'm very passionate about uh, developing marginalised areas, there are parts of this country that have never known development and it's not because we can't develop them, it's just bad Policies, it's selfishness, it's a lack of Utu, lack of haki, and lack of madili. So I'm passionate about decentralizing much more, um, beginning with um, uh, you know the allocations of funds. Uh, there is absolutely no reason why uh, counties cannot get fifty percent of the national income, and um, we pay our taxes, so the taxes should go back to equitable development of every part of the country. And marginalization could be driven to the social component where there are groups in the society that are marginalized. For example, even uh, persons living with disability, the women, then you have um, some youth that are almost like second-class citizens. Nobody's thinking about them. And so you have parts of northern Kenya that uh, some people refer to as Kenya B. You go to... Places like Pokot and uh, Marsabit and uh, Wajir, uh, Lodwar, and you realize that development has never touched these uh, regions, and yet they are bona fide Kenyans in these regions. So what we are we are saying we need to go beyond that uh, uh, equitable fund thing because it's not about dangling carrots. It's yes. uh, you know you have to serve people uh, because they are bona fide citizens.
0: Yes, yes, you make some very good points. You are listening to the Africana Voice podcast and our guest today is none other than the 2027 or earlier presidential aspirant, <laughs> uh, Buana Ruben Kigame. Uh, if i can just indulge you a little bit because uh you did touch on the issue about tribalism and uh tribalism is a big problem uh, actually in africa we know the effects of that what happened in rwanda we just uh we are almost coming to 30 years since the, the 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 rwandan genocide against the tutsi so what are we looking at in kenya why do you think we see such a blatant uh, favoritism towards two communities over others. Uh, is it because a uh, president uh, does not have any confidence that he brings people from other communities they are going to serve him well? Or is it because it's just that how things work in Kenya?
1: Oh, that's a big topic and we can um, discourse on it maybe another time. But um, uh, just to answer your question, uh, we've had a love and hate relationship towards the solution of um, what you're calling uh, tribalism. I would call it ethnicity, but um, it is a problem right across Africa and uh, it's historic. So you've got to understand the history of it uh, to actually deal with it. Part of it is global because um back in the 19th century um 1884-85 specifically a few nations from Europe sat in Berlin and um divided Africa the Africa we have today was was actually decided at a table at a conference table in Berlin so you have uh, a situation where a few nations set the boundaries uh sometimes you know disregarding uh, who is uh, where in Africa. And so you have, for example, for Kenya, you have Maasai's in Kenya, but you also have Maasai's in uh, Tanzania. You yes. have uh, Ateso in uh, Kenya. You have Ateso in uh, Uganda. Um, you have, uh, you know, Somali's in Kenya. You have Somali's in Somalia. So it was very artificial, and yes. you could uh, replicate this right across uh, the continent. Now, that gave rise to the breakdown of the African society because um, you had kingdoms, you had uh, uh, communities living side by side with slightly different sets of uh, organization. And so for me, when, when you hear me talk about my passion for the East African Federation, for example... Yeah. Uh I'm saying we need to eliminate those boundaries so yes. that our people can move freely across the region and also you know you don't have the unnecessary interborder uh, issues uh, whether it's visa or or uh, you know cattle rustling or raids or whatever. So uh that would eliminate a lot but also It would empower us. You know, uh, the old adage of divide and rule has been perfected, not just uh, in the uh, colonial and post-colonial discourse. It is now the game that uh, politicians use in Africa. So you you pull one community and another one to win an election. That's how it works, even in Kenya, that uh, you say... For, for you to win this uh, election, you need the mountain, you know, Mount Kenya, and or Nyanza or Western Kenya. So you you have almost like uh, you sanctify divide and rule, and uh, then you you can even demograph demographize it. You 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 go into what uh, Mutahinguni used to say is tyranny of numbers so that's how it works and from independence that's how kenya has worked that uh, after Kenyatta came moi and after moi came uh, kibaki and after kibaki you know came uhuru and now after uhuru comes uh william ruto so two communities have dominated kenya's presidential discourse that's the kikuyu and the kalenji now that is what President Kenyatta was hinting at uh, before he left office, that this needs to break, this yeah. needs to to stop. Yes. And so one of the problems in Kenya is that uh, people are now a lot more conscious of the fact that this cannot go on. And we almost solved the problem with the constitutional dispensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, when 2013 elections came, we reverted right back to that ethnic uh, composition of government. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, we're gonna switch gears to, uh, to other issues, uh, that borders around religion, but I just wanna, just get your opinion here for the record. Uh, what do you think happened? Because, uh, in the, in the last elections, uh, it seemed as if, uh, Raila Odinga had the, the bigger hand. He was most likely he had the president supporting him and Bruto looked like the underdog in that arrangement uh do you think the election there was some cheating in the election as the Mio as group is suggesting uh what do you think happened there what's your opinion about the election outcome
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot to unpack there because um i think uh the binary thinking that comes to the table every time we think about kenya's politics is is really not a good thing uh, so that uh, you know the way uh, in the united states you have um binary thinking between uh, the republicans and the, the democrats so that is the geopolitical nerve that is running kenya's politics so people begin to think in uh it, you know in either or so you have two main players at the top while all the while you actually neglect the bigger constituency so even if we just use the, the demographics of the uh, recently concluded election, the 2022 elections in Kenya, the, the figures are disputed. But for argument's sake, so if Ruto had 7 million, 7.1, they say, and uh, Raila had uh, 6.8 or, so let's just say uh, you had 7 million, 7 million. Mm. Um, the registered voters were actually 22 million. Mm. So even if you were to take uh, 14 million as having participated uh, in the election, you have another eight million of uh, registered voters that did not vote. Yeah. In other words, if you were to put demographics on a card, you would first of all have number one, eight million that then did vote.
0: not vote. <laughs> 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 then number two
1: Yeah, then you'd have William Ruto. then you'd have Raila in that in that order yeah uh, and so you would only have to read it as a joint block, you know 14 million against eight for that to tilt. but mm-hmm. uh, if you if you are tripartite and uh, you believed in trichotomy then you would say that the the real vote is actually with uh, the 8 million. Um, but you also have a lot of youth that did not see any point registering to vote. Yeah. So you could very well have uh, more than 10 million uh, that uh, would vote differently. And um, I just happen to represent a lot of those that did not see any reason to vote or uh, would have wanted a different candidate. Uh, they don't have uh, faith in the electoral system. I don't yeah. think anybody just uh, wakes up one morning and says, I'm not going to vote. It's, it's because something has gone wrong. So um whatever discussion is at the table as to who won the election or who lost is not significant to me because the real losers are the Kenyans yes the real losers are um those who have lost uh, uh faith in the in, in 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 the in the electoral process that they have lost faith in the IEBC. They've lost faith in the value system. They've lost, they uh, trust is the greatest loser in this, uh, whole equation. And so when it comes to the current fight of who won or who lost, for me, it's pretty much that, um, two, Two people, two, excuse the expression, two thieves met at the cookie jar. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they were trying to beat each other at it. Believe you me, if uh, Raila and Azimio won, we would still be having a similar situation because then uh, Ruto and Kenya Kwanzaa would be the one saying our, our election was stolen. Mm-hmm. So, but the question is, was this a fair election? Was this uh, a transparent election? Was this, um, you know, refereed well? No. So when you see uh, Kenya Kwanzaa saying Wafula Chebukati was the hero of this election, uh, I sit back and I ask myself, what does it take to be a hero? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when the process was not fair. And the 2017 uh, ruling uh, by Maraga really said that the process of an election is just as important as... uh, you know, the announcement of the results. Mm -hmm. So if the process is not transparent, if, uh, for example, for me, who was uh, actively locked out, went to court, and uh, the referee is the one that goes to the Court of Appeal to stay the judgment of uh, Justice Murima to include me on the ballot, and uh, the Court of Appeal case has never been determined to this day, meaning that uh, the process uh, was certainly actively unfair. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is correct. So in a way, there is clear implication by just the disputes we always have after every election that the the winner-take-all uh, type mm. of powerful presidency doesn't work because it has rotated between two communities. And there is right. some, some anxiety uh, happening because of that. Uh, would you be open to an idea that is floating around now that they want that the presidency to be rotational within regions or what do you think what do you think of that suggestion
1: that would never work because it would take 48 44 cycles for any community to feel represented I don't think it is really about who is in office at the end of the day. Uh, by the way, for the record, I don't really care if you had uh, 20 Kikuyu presidents in succession. I don't care if you had, you know, 20 Somali presidents following each other. As long as they were elected fairly, as long as they were serving people, uh, you you know, guided by the constitution, as long as they made every Kenyan uh, feel uh they belong and by the way allow me to say that by kenyan i also include kenyans in the diaspora because uh, a lot of them feel uh, a raw deal they feel the government at home is also not taking care of them so we, we also we always have to think about uh kenyans in the diaspora as well because they they're building this nation actually they they are the main nerve in terms of economics uh, you know that drives uh, this country. So if if we were to fix this, the rotation would not work. I think uh, having uh, a constitutional dispensation, a, a constitutionally binding government, would be uh, the answer.
0: Yeah, and I think I, th- I think devolution takes care of a lot of those problems that would be caused by a central government anyway. So the implementation maybe need to be more robust, and uh, yes. we also have to figure out how to stop the graft that is happening in the in the counties as well. Um, Absolutely. So let's switch gears. We're going to talk about uh, religion and politics in Kenya now, and then we'll go and talk about the diaspora because uh, you are an, an, a presidential aspirant, and uh, the diaspora votes for the president, and so that's a big topic for us here in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about religion first. You're on record uh, for having said that the Kenya Kwanzaa government is overdoing. I I think the tweet that you sent out used the word overdoing religion. Uh, Can you expound on that and then uh, uh, put it in the context of what is happening now, especially with all the criticism that is being done by the Kenya Kwanzaa government in the so-called Thanksgiving uh, services on Sundays? Uh, where we see the president and the deputy president coming in and being very critical. I hear them talking about Raela Odinga on the podium more than they're talking about Jesus Christ. And I'm also seeing the Azimio <laughs> <laughs> side is also starting to go to church quite a bit. So talk a little bit about that overdoing religion. And then... Uh, tell us a little bit about the equilibrium between the government and participation in religion
1: yeah so I begin with a caveat that um I am personally a born-again Christian that that means uh, I'm evangelical uh, in my inclination um but I also need to add that I'm what you call a Christian apologist I actually uh, do what, what does what does
0: uh, that mean what does that mean a Christian so apologist?
1: an apologist is someone who explains and uh, defends what they believe and why so we give grounds for the christian faith we dialogue we have friendly dialogues with people who believe differently from us so we spend a lot of time with atheists and agnostics and uh, you know people from other religions or no religion at all because uh, um, conversation is critical um you know uh, my my professor used to say yes socrates said uh, the unexamined life is not worth living But he would add that uh, an an unexamined faith is not worth having. So we would need to come to that Isaiah principle, you know, come now, let us reason together. So we talk openly. I've been talking openly about the abuse of religion over the years and so on. And so this is not something that I'm coming to now. I actually resigned from uh, my teaching career back in 1994 to concentrate on that kind of engagement. So I come to... uh, religion with a lot of passion but with a lot of um, years of engagement and so when kenya kwanzaa came into office and uh, began to go to bed with uh, the evangelical church that is where we began to lose it at the point where kenya kwanzaa aligns itself with a few bishops and you could see it even at the in uh at the um, announcement of the results at bomas yeah. Uh, there were very specific, uh, bishops and so on that were on the f- front row there. Um, I think they're on the second, you know, they, they were on the second row. Uh, so yeah. they were there. They led prayers and so on. Now, that is where it began to go wrong because, um, then you already began to, uh, bring to the forefront a particular segment of the church. Then at the inauguration, uh, you had a traditional uh, African religious person praying. You had a Catholic priest and then you had two evangelicals. Yeah. So my overdoing of religion begins with that kind of uh, statistical balance. So you, you already align yourself with uh, a particular evangelical wing. Then at state house, you call a number of bishops and, uh, uh you know, you, you conduct what is called a cleansing ceremony of state house or something, deliverance uh, of uh, that uh, house on the hill. Yeah. And so again, well, uh, well,
0: well, uh, just to clarify, what was the cleansing about? Did that imply that the, the previous president had brought some evil spirits or what was that about? N-
1: um, I can't speak authoritatively to, um, what exactly it is except um, to say it it wouldn't look to me as if it was just the previous president it would be saying that the foundations of the nation are basically not christian and we we would want to install a christian president in office so president ruto was uh, viewed as uh, the david of god you know the one who would bring uh, a christian dispensation and revival and all of that yeah. now uh, if we had time i would show you how uh, this is a build up, uh, so much so that even by the time you have what is being called the Jubilee government, um, that is a Christian notion of liberation. Yeah. Um, but it builds up from the 2010 constitution where although, um, people worked so hard to get the new constitution, Ruto was seen as the voice of the church. And so the evangelical church aligned itself with, with, with him. But, um, I would want to dwell on the implications because, um, the first thing, that overdoing of religion did was polarize the church so much so that even though we went to church before the elections uh, regardless of whether we were azimio or kenya kwanzaa or kigame or any other whatever candidate following we worshiped together we prayed together we sang together and come the election uh, there is polarization and uh, the rhetoric uh, came out in slogans like Nimaombisi uh, Uchawi, which means yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a prayer that has brought this about and not witchcraft. Yeah. Now, so because of that binary thinking, I, I talked to you earlier. So it's viewed as if if you're on Kenya Kwanzaa's side, you have the correct version of prayer. If you are on the Azimio side, then you uh, you are led by witchcraft.
0: Yeah, so now, there, there is a there there is that vein that has been going around in Kenya where Raila Odinga has been termed as Muganga. And, yes, uh, yes. So, so, and, so, and so, it's a long slice.
1: Yeah, and that is not a religious um, issue. It is really a political issue, because it's okay. uh, politicians using religion to polarize and get votes. And so once you brand someone as a mchawi, of course, then it's expected that uh, they will lose votes. Uh, But so that is only the the tip uh, of the iceberg.
0: And and does that branding extend to the community that person belongs? In the case of Raila Odinga, is it uh, an implication that Raila is a mganga, so by extension... Uh, is a uh, Luo community also? Uh, not, not
1: necessarily. You see, yeah. um, Azimio and, or ODM, uh, is not a preserve of the Luo community. I mean, uh, you have Luyas, uh, you have Kisis, you have Kalenjis, you have people from different, uh, communities that are part of Azimio. If you go down the coast, uh, Mijikenda and so on are very active members of, uh, ODM. ODM. Yeah. So it's not really tribal. It is really a sociological conditioning uh, where you position someone, uh, your enemy as the bad one. If you watch the American uh, situation, it's really uh, Trump and um, his evangelical way of doing things, for example, that then paints everybody else as the enemy. That's exactly what is um, outworking here. The problem is that... Uh, A divided country is not, um, you cannot develop a divided country. And uh, even if you went to elections like Ruto is trying to go in 2027 and you have demonized a big chunk of uh, the electorate, I don't know that you can do very, very well. And so that narrative would have to be destroyed. And, you know, so people like uh, myself and um, those who believe in the love principle those who believe in the equality of everyone before god and all of that uh, then have the dirty work of uh, going around the country and doing our best to unite the country and so what i've been doing for example is use my music concerts uh, to bring the nation together use my online writings and tweets and so on to unite the country uh, albeit in a small way, it's, it's a very hard task, and then to stand in the gap and help Kenya back to uh, its united, more reasonable uh, way of looking at things. So I come in as a voice of reason. We come in as a as a, uh, the, the the voice of unity and and a new start. That's why I'm actually in this space. Otherwise, uh, the nation is really badly divided, and religion notwithstanding
0: yeah yeah religion can be can be very divisive uh, i mean we've seen how religion has been used uh, for slavery for colonialism to justify apartheid and all those things
1: so, and and there's a lot um, yeah. actually let let me just point to one quick thing here you know i'm a christian but what are we doing to the muslims as we you know position the evangelical wing of christianity that way what are we doing to catholics that are not evangelical. What are we doing to Seventh-day Adventists? You know, what are we doing? So if an Adventist came into office and said only Adventists will be a state house or will be close to government, if a Muslim came to office and said the same kind of things that, uh, you know, Ruto and his cronies are, are, are doing, how would we live? So they're misusing religion we and muslims live together we and catholics live together we coexist what we need is a move away from overdoing religion and yes um you know love your god and uh uh, do your uh, religious uh, duties and uh, be faithful to your god but uh, don't use religion to divide and polarize a nation or win win votes Uh, and
0: and uh, do you think uh then, uh, using that rubric, do you think it's important uh, for politicians not to be going to the pulpit to have political discussions? Or, do, do, I mean, how do you deal with that? Because if a politician comes to church, he automatically becomes the, prom- the most prominent person in the audience. And uh, these pastors would like to highlight that this person was in my church. So how do you uh bring that balance?
1: Maurice, uh that's um a very important point. Um the pulpit is a sacred space. Or so sh- shall I just say the church is a sacred space and uh, it deserves, you know, the kind of sacredness that um it deserves. And and so um you don't desecrate sacred spaces, whether you're dealing with a church or a mosque. You don't do that. And so I believe if you allow that to go on then sooner or later the church will not have what we call the prophetic mandate or uh the priestly mandate to guide to instruct or even rebuke the king and uh, tell him you are naked so the emperor's new clothes uh, yeah. who who is going to tell the king you know you know you're naked so we need the church to retake its uh, central position of, uh, being there for everybody. Now, that does not mean that in their private capacities, bishops and, and so on cannot, uh, participate in elections, but it means you cannot then enter a memorandum like, uh, Ruto has been with, with the church and say you'll be part of government yeah. because that is, um, you know, you, you remember the way Constantine did it and, uh, you yeah. know, just desecrated the sacred spaces. Yes, yes
0: and uh, constantine just uh, invited the catholic church and gave them a lot of wealth for those people who have not uh, read that history so maybe something yes. for people to to read about so uh let's now talk about uh, the issues that in kenya i think we've gone over time you're listening to the africana voice podcast and our guest today is a 2027 presidential aspirant uh good friend Ruben Kigame. So let's talk about the mandamano. So yes. what do you think about mandamano?
1: Okay, so there are two sides of mandamano. Um, and one is that uh, it is constitutional. Article 37 says that uh, everyone uh, has a right to demonstrate uh, unarmed, you know? So you there is that uh, caveat again, uh, that uh, you have the right to picket. You have the right to uh, share uh disapproval or policy or whatever so that's that's okay there is um the flip side of it as to whether you can actually have peaceful picketing in in Kenya mm-hmm. uh, because every time you have a demonstration especially of a political nature you have uh, the abuse of uh, the right uh where people then begin to hurl stones at uh, the police and or uh, they loot and or they kill and maim and so on so you have um, the underlying question is can you really have peaceful uh, demonstrations in the country so that's why on the 17th of march i came out and say i do support the demonstrations for constitutional reason that it's constitutional to actually picket however i i said i was supporting them for people centered reasons the utu thing again mm. um that um I'm in the mandamano because we want people to have food. We want people to, you know, the, a review of the education system. We want the taxes to be lowered. We want um, uh, a stoppage to uh, the appointment of uh, spouses of ministers into government and the creation of offices. The, the appointment of uh, 50 CSS instead of uh, 23. So I'm in it for those kinds of reasons. Yeah, But okay. not for settling electro scores. Because if we were to go that direction, I would have my own reasons for, yeah. uh, you know, the electro uh, uh, the discussions. And so they open the server. And uh, if you don't open the server, we'll demonstrate. We are putting two different issues in the same plate. Yeah. And so, and then Azimio for, you know, the record uh, here for me is using... The problems in the country, the challenges citizens are having to settle electoral scores, mm-hmm. and that mismatch is not good. Yeah. And so, of course, they have proposed. No, no. Let me let me say one more thing. Uh, once you have this kind of uh, setup where violence is the order of the day, and you know the way politics plays in Kenya, then the government could very well use the police or use the instruments of power to perpetuate the government position. In other words, you don't want the mandamano, you don't want the demonstrations. So you use excessive force of the police, for example, to scatter them, like uh, Raila and Steam are prevented from uh, getting to the city uh, centre and so on.